Bible says, and when he came to himself, when he came to himself, this young man finally thought about everything that he had done. He had turned his back on his father's love. He had turned his back on his father's provision. He had turned his back on everything that the father had done for him. And he said to his daddy, he said, Father, he said, I want you to give me my inheritance. Now, one thing about inheritance I found out, you usually don't get inheritance until the person's died. Okay, so here was a young man that said, I want my inheritance. The father gave it to him. A few days later, in the plans of this young man, he knew what he was going to do all along. He decides that he's going to go off into the far country. And that's exactly what he does. And he, look, look at verse number 17 with me. Notice what it says. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have plenty to eat? Folks, I want to tell you something here tonight. And I look out on the young people here tonight, and I'm so glad that they're here. Thank the Lord for them. Let me tell you something right now. The devil will always lead you into the far country. He'll always take you into the far country. And when he's done with you, you will always return in rags smelling like pigs. That's exactly what happened to this young man. He turned his back on his father and he turned his back on his father's provision. I want us to see some things here tonight through the eyes of the prodigal because here was a young man who had turned away from his father's provision. Here was a young man who had said, I know what I want to do and I'm going to do it. I don't care what my daddy says. I don't care what mother says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. You can do it. You have a free will. But I want to tell you something. You'll pay the price. You'll, you will live your life on your terms to your own detriment every time. Let me tell you something. Our Heavenly Father has given us a love letter. It's called the Bible. It tells how, how we ought to live and how we ought to conduct ourselves. You show me a young person that rejects this book. You show me a young person that rejects the counsel of mother and daddy. And I'm going to show you a young person that's headed for trouble. What do you think this daddy might have said? Those of us that are daddies here tonight. Think about it if your son or your daughter came and said, I want, to, I want what, what will rightfully belong to me one day. And uh, then he, he's going to take off. And before he takes off, he comes to his daddy and he says, Daddy, I'm leaving. wonder what kind of counsel he'd have given to him. I know what I would have said. I'd have looked at my son and said, Son, that's a wrong move. You're going to destroy your life, son. If that's the way you're going to go, you're going to destroy your life. Let me tell you something, young people. Hear me and hear me well. There'll never be anybody this side of heaven on earth that will love you more than mom and dad. Nobody. Listen to them. You might say, well, my parents, are, my parents are unsaved. I don't care. As long as their counsel lines up with this book and is not contrary to this book, you listen to mother and dad every time. And if you have unsaved parents that may not give you biblical counsel, then you'd search the scriptures to find out what the scriptures say. And if you don't know what the scripture says, that's why you've got a youth pastor, that's why you've got a pastor here that'll sit down with you and show you from the word of God the principles that you need to live by. Be a principled young person in your living. Don't go with the world. Don't pick up the philosophy of the world. Amen. We see it all the time. I wish that my wife and I had just a dollar for every time I've had somebody say to me, preacher, I said to her, Mrs. Riddell, I wish I'd listened to you. I'd wish I'd listened to you. And you know what goes on in my heart? My attitude is, I wish you had too. Because we wouldn't be dealing with a broken life now. We'd be dealing with a happy life. Let's see several things. What did this prodigal son see 
through his own eyes regarding his father. Now the father represents to us our heavenly father. So what does this young man see that could be speaking of our heavenly father? Number one, this young man, as he comes home, he's returning from the far country. As he comes home, he sees the love of God is displayed in the gift of grace. The gift of grace. Notice in verse number 20 with me. And he rose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The gift of grace. He returned from the far country. This young man. Now let me tell you how he returned. He returned in rags. The devil had so stripped him, he didn't even have a pair of shoes on. And by the way, that's usually the way the devil leaves you. Okay, all you've got to do is look around in our cultured society and see people have been involved in drugs and morality and they have absolutely nothing to show for their life. It is an absolutely wasted life. They don't even have, figuratively speaking, shoes on their feet. The devil will always leave you in rags. The devil will always leave you smelling like a pig. The father has compassion on him. The father runs to him to meet his son. The father is just waiting for the prodigal to come home. The father's out there on the porch every day, out on the veranda every day, just looking for the son to come home and wanting for his son to come home. Day after day, year in and year out, he doesn't. Can you imagine the heartbreak of that daddy? When he doesn't see his son after longing to see him. You daddies know what I'm talking about. You mothers know what I'm talking about, especially if you have a wayward son or a wayward daughter. You know what I'm talking about. Notice with me, if you would, in this, in this verse number, uh, number 20 of Luke chapter 15, uh, notice, notice what it says here, talking about mercy and talking about grace. Look at what it says. It says here, but when he was yet afar off, his father saw him. You know what he sees? He sees his son. Through the eyes of mercy. He's not looking to punish his son. I can't help but think if I were standing in that place, tears would be coming down out of my eyes. So I would see my son coming home. Eyes of mercy. Then notice with me if you would. And had compassion. He had a heart of mercy. Not only did he have eyes of mercy. He had a heart of mercy. Then look at with me if you would. And he ran, the Bible says. The father runs towards the son. He had feet of mercy. Then notice with me if you would. And he fell on his neck. The father pulls him to his bosom. He had arms of mercy. And then notice what it says. And kissed him. He had lips of mercy. Oh, this daddy, this daddy longed for the fact that he could see his son and fellowship with his son. So number one, what did the son see from his father? Hear me. He saw the gift of grace, mercy, and grace. Number two, <clears throat> this young man saw the love of God as displayed in the gift of reconciliation. In the gift of reconciliation. You know this daddy could have looked at the son and said, well, son, I told you so. That would not have been a good response. That would not have been something good. Could have looked at him and said, son, I told you what was going to happen. 
You're coming home, you've got no shoes on, you're in rags, you smell like a pig, you've squandered your inheritance, it's all gone, I worked all of my life for that money, and you've wasted it on harlots, on immorality, on wickedness. You didn't have to say that. You want to know why? Because the son knew what he had done. Look with me if you would. Where the Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 20, and it says, and kissed him, and kissed him. I can just imagine the father just bringing his son to his chest and breast area, kissing him and hugging him and kissing him. You know, Blake and Lisa and the kids are with us this week. Blake's, or Lisa's grandmother passed away, uh, Lillian's mom. And so they came in and... Uh, uh, those, those precious grandkids. I, I told Blake the other day, I said, son, I really don't care if I see you or not. I said, I'm just thrilled to see the kids, okay? Now, he knew I was only kidding, but, or was I kidding? Let me think this. He knew I was only kidding. But I, saw, I, pulled, I pulled Liam over to me, and I looked at him the other day, and I said, Liam? I said, what, Pop Pop? I said, does Pop Pop and Mom Mom kiss you too much? And he says, uh-huh, uh-huh. I can only imagine this daddy with his son, loving his son. Here was this young man who was estranged from his father and uh, being reconciled to his father. What a wonderful, wonderful picture. You see, in the Far East, when you embrace someone and you kiss them who's been estranged from you, it means that you are reconciled to them and it means that you are forgiving them and that you are restoring fellowship once again. So what did this young man see from his father? He saw the gift of God of reconciliation. Daddy has brought me back. Daddy in his love has brought me back. Grace, grace, reconciliation, he kissed him. What a wonderful picture of our heavenly father. You know, you and I are here tonight, and many of you I know are born again. You know the Lord is your personal savior. But I want to tell you something about Christians. You hear me and hear me well on this. Or to bring back a popular phrase of the 80s and 90s, put this in your little black book. Okay? When you go into the far country, when you go into the far country, you always come back broken. You always will. You know, sometimes Christians... Go into the far country. Think with me if you would. Can you look around this wonderful church? And this is a precious church. Wonderful, godly people in this church. And you've got a, a fine pastor and a wonderful pastor's wife and good family. And we thank the Lord for them. But I want to tell you, can you think of some folks that used to sit in the pews here? And don't sit anywhere in any church Today, where are they? They're in the far country. They're in the far country. And the Father wants to bring them back. Number three, the Son not only saw the, uh, uh, the, the love of God in the, in, uh, uh, as displayed in the gift of grace and the gift of reconciliation, but notice with me in verse number 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put, on a ring in, uh, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You see, the father could not receive the son 
in the robes of unrighteousness. He could not receive the son. This is my son. I don't want him in rags. I don't want him smelling like pigs. I don't want him living a pauper's life. I don't want him barefoot. Servants. He doesn't say, get him a robe. He says, get him the best robe. Get him the best robe. And you know what? If you're here tonight without the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you will give your heart and your life to Christ, Christ will give you the best robe. Look with me, if you would, please. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. The Father could not receive him in robes that represented sin. The Father could not receive him in the robes that spoke to us of rebellion. The Father could not receive him in the robes that spoke of rejection. The Father could not receive him in the robes that spoke of him turning away from his daddy. Father said, bring him the best robe. And God can't receive us except we come to him on his terms. And his terms are found at Calvary. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. All of our righteousness, everything that you and I could do for God has absolutely no meaning outside of Jesus Christ. None. You might say, but preacher, I'm going to get to heaven my way. No, you won't. You'll go to hell any way you want to, but you're not going to get to heaven your way. You're going to get to heaven God's way or no way. It's simple as that. So you could be here tonight, a multimillionaire, and say, well, I've never received Christ, but I'm going to give this church a million dollars. That's not enough. How much is enough? You don't have enough. You don't have enough. That price was paid at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. How can sinful man then, how can you and I, how can sinful man dwell with a holy God? How can you and I come to the point of having fellowship with our Father when in reality, when we come to Him, we're in rags. How can we do that? Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3, please. Look at Romans chapter 3. Look there with me, if you would. The first thing God has to do to us is to dress us in His righteousness. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse number 22. Romans 3, 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe. You want to be able to come into the Father's presence? You got to be dressed right. But you can't change the clothes yourself. You might say, but preacher, as soon as I get myself cleaned up, I'll come to Jesus my dear friend, you can't clean yourself up enough. You've got to come to Jesus exactly as you are. How's that? In your rags. 
shoeless, smelling with a foul odor, and the foul odor is sin. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. Look here with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse number 21, please. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Talk about the robe of righteousness. God has to clothe us in the robe of righteousness. If we're going to have fellowship with him, if we're going to be in his presence, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. So I'm going to go back and read it that way. For he hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. When Jesus Christ hung on that Calvary's cross over 2,000 years ago, he was the perfect, holy, sinless, righteous Son of God, without sin. He was not conceived in sin as you and I are. He was conceived by the precious Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary. He was the Son of God who left the portals of heaven and all the praise and glory that was due to him and set his glory and his power aside, or his glory aside, and he came here on earth so that he might live for 33 to 33 and a half years, a spotless, sinless life. It says he became sin for us. Now you think with me if you would. Think of the most despicable person you can think of. Who would it be today? Would you look at Adolf Hitler and say he was a despicable person? Yeah. Yeah. He killed six million innocent Jewish people. Despicable. Let me tell you something. All of the sin of Adolf Hitler was laid on him at Calvary. How about those fellows that took out over 3,000 Americans on September the 11th, 01? Were they despicable? Despicable cowards. And Jesus died for them. And all of their sin and all of their ugliness and all of that which is despicable about them was laid on him. Notice the transformation. He which was righteous, he which was perfect, he which was holy became sin for us. He didn't take on part of the sin of the world. He took on the sin of the whole world from eternity past through eternity future. The sin of the whole world. Every sin, every despicable sin that you can think of and that I could think of was laid upon the Son of God and He became sin. Can you imagine the horror for the glorious Lord Jesus as He which was righteous became sin for me? So what happens then? Look at what it says. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He who was righteous becomes sin. We who are unrighteous become righteous because of his sacrifice for you and for me. Oh, what did this son see? He saw the love of God in his father through the robe of righteousness. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 6 with me if you would. Isaiah chapter 6, notice what it says there. Isaiah chapter 6. Excuse me, Isaiah chapter 61, please. Isaiah chapter 61, if you would be so kind. Isaiah 61, and look at verse number 10 with me, please. Isaiah 61, 10. Notice what it says here. 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Let me tell you something right now. Every one of you, myself, pastor, every one of us tonight that have asked Christ to come into our hearts. You might have done that as a little child. You may have done it as a young adult. You may have done it as an older adult. But you've asked Christ to come into your heart. Notice what the Word of God says here. He's clothed us in the garments of salvation. I'll tell you what I did as an eight-year-old boy when I received Christ. You might say, well, preacher, you're not that much of a sinner as an eight-year-old boy. You're a sinner. That's all my parents could produce was a sinner. That's it. I traded in my garments of unrighteousness. And he gave me the garments of salvation. But that didn't stop there. Notice what it says. And hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. Because he became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. What did this son see? This son saw the gift of God through his father, the gift of grace, the gift of reconciliation, the gift of righteousness. Look with me to verse number 22 of Luke chapter 15 once again, please. Notice what it says. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. This young man came back in a shameful, shameful presentation. Filthy, dirty, matted hair. Who knows if there were bugs in his hair? We don't know, but I'll guarantee he had the smell of pigs on him. He came back in terrible, in a terrible, terrible condition. And he was willing to just be a servant in his father's house. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Just hire me out as a servant. I am not worthy anymore to be called thy son. Now let me tell you something. You may have drifted far from God tonight. But God loves you. And you, did you, did you notice something about this story? This man, though he went into the far country, though he lived a shameful life, though he was involved in sin and immorality, he never lost his sonship. He could never be anything less than his father's son. And dear friend, that's the same way with you and I. We may drift away from God from time to time, but we can never ever lose the fact that we are either a son or a daughter of God. But notice what he says. The young man comes back and just, just make me a servant. That would not satisfy the father. Oh, no, no. No, his son, he must be reinstated once again. And that ring speaks to us as a symbol of reinstatement. Put the ring on his finger. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3 with me, if you would. 1 John chapter 3. This is much like our Heavenly Father. You know, before we receive Christ, we're at war with God, the Bible says. And uh, once we receive Christ, 
we need to recognize the fact that the Father loves us no matter what the circumstances might be. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. 1 John 3 and verse number 1. Notice what it says. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. What a wonderful, wonderful family we're a part of. You're either a son of God or a daughter of God tonight. You know one thing I've never understood about young people? And I love young people. I, I, I love being around them. They bring life to, to the old folks. I'm talking about you. Not, not Faith and I. We're not there yet. But, but you, you know. You, you older people than us. I think there are two in here older than us. Okay. They, uh, you know, they, they just bring life. You know what I don't understand? Can I just be honest with you? I mean, brutally honest. And kids, listen to me tonight. Because I'm pleading with you. You have your whole life to live. And you can either live it within the family of God, rejoicing about the fact that you're born again, you know Christ is your Savior, or you can live it on your own and have a destroyed life at the end. I've seen it too many times, and my wife has, and so has our son and his wife, and many of you have. Where young people decided, I'm going to do things on my own. I'm going to live on my own value system. And they do. And their life ends up a shipwreck. I don't understand something. And I'm serious when I say that. I'm not kidding now. I don't understand young people that go out and get involved in drugs. I, I don't understand that. Why would you put something into your body that you know is going to destroy you. I don't, I don't understand that. Why would you ingest something or put something in your arm and destroy your life? I, that is totally beyond my comprehension. And why our politicians in this state and across this country are hurrying so much to make medical marijuana legal is beyond my scope of comprehension. Marijuana, hear me kids, it's not a recreational drug. It is a level entry drug to harder drugs that will, I'm not saying maybe, that will, I'm not saying maybe, that will, I'm not saying maybe, that will destroy your life. And that is the goal. And that's a pitiful thing. When you look at these politicians carrying on the way they do and they think this is a wonderful thing, let's legalize marijuana. Well, let's, why don't we legalize murder? Why don't we legalize murder? Because that's exactly what you're going to do to some of these young people. They're going to get on harder and harder and harder drugs, and they're going to be dead. I don't understand it, young people. I do not understand it. Notice with me, if you would, look at, look at, uh, all, look at Ephesians chapter 3 with me, please. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. And notice what it says there in verse number 15. He sees the ring of sonship, the gift of the ring of sonship. This father gives him a son, restores him into fellowship of the family. Look at Ephesians 3.15. Notice what it says. Of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. When you become a Christian, you become part of a family structure that's going to live eternally. Part of a family structure. Stick with the family. 
The family sticks with the book. Stick with the book. Don't waver from the word of God. Don't go off with the world. Don't, don't, don't go off with all the silliness and the reprobation of the world. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, please. Look at Romans chapter 8. And look at verse number 14 and following. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14 and following. He has the ring of sonship. Notice what it says, Romans 8, 14 and following. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of adoption, or spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Are you children of God, child of God? Then you need to live like it. You need to live like it. You need to live so that the world knows that you're a child of God. Notice what it says, verse number 17. And if children, then heirs. Hear me on this. All that the Father has given to the Son, I get it too. Why is that? Because I'm a child of the King. I'm part of the family. And if you have Christ in your heart, all that the Father has given to Christ, guess what? You're in line for an inheritance, an eternal inheritance to be ever, forever to be with the Lord. And notice what it says. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So if so, be that we suffer with him, that we may, may be also glorified together. Oh, my. This father, think about what this son saw. What did he see? Did he see a spirit of revenge from his daddy? No. No, he saw the gift of grace. He saw the gift of reconciliation. He saw the gift of the robe of righteousness. He saw the gift of the ring of sonship. Then notice with me, what else did this young man see? He saw the love of God is displayed in the gift of shoes for service. Look at what it says in verse 22 of Luke 15, and shoes on his feet. The devil is a cruel taskmaster. Oh, it sounds good at first. In fact, the truth is, if sin weren't so inviting, nobody would be doing it. I'm not going to tell you, stand up here and tell you that sin's not fun. Because that wouldn't be the truth. Sin is fun. For a season. And then you're going to find out that there's no fun at all. You're going to find out that you don't control the sin the sin controls you. And that's the way it works. Oh, Satan will entice you with something very, very simple. Because he knows what's at the other end. What Satan wants to do, hear me on this, be it a young person or a mother or dad, Satan wants to absolutely destroy your life. As a result of following and going into the far country, this young man lost everything. Let me tell you something about Satan. He's been at this game of destroying people's lives longer than you've ever been alive. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He knows every trick in the book. And if you think that you're going to outsmart Satan, you better think again. And let me just put it this way to you. 
It ain't going to happen. He will outsmart you and outsmart me at every time. That's why, at every turn, that's why you and I must stay in God's love letter to us. God loves us. He's shown it to us. Notice what he says. This father says, bring him the best robe, bring him a ring, put it on his hand, he says, and put shoes on his feet. He wanted this sonship and this son to realize that he wanted him to walk in the right path. Turn over to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 with me, if you would. This young man had lost his shoes. He had nothing to walk in. His daddy said, give him the shoes. Provide the shoes for him. The shoes are for service. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look at chapter 4 of that same book. Look at verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech, that is, I beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I would use that same term. I beg you to live according to this book. I'll tell you what, if you and I will live our life according to this book, we'll not have any regrets. And you'll have a good life. Look at what it says in verse 17 of that same text, chapter 4. This I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk. Don't go after your friends. Don't follow them. If they're leading a carnal Christian life or they're leading a sinful life, don't follow them. Don't be a part of, don't go to places where you have to compromise your convictions. Don't get involved in things where you've compromised your convictions and what you know is right. Don't do it. Notice what he says, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. In fact, he says in chapter 5 of that book, he says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And then let me just give you very quickly the sixth and seventh point. I'm not even going to preach it. The sixth point is, not only has this young man seen the love of God through the grace or through the gift of grace, the gift of reconciliation, the gift of righteousness, the, uh, the uh, ring of sonship, the shoes of service, but he sees the love of God is displayed in the calf of satisfaction. Bring the fatted calf. No, he's not. He's not. I, let me tell you something right now. This fella, he didn't want anything to do with the pig roast. All right, you'll get that later on. Okay, all right. Okay. He didn't want anything to do with that. No, you, you bring the fatted calf. You know the one out there. Why? Because my son who is dead is now alive. You bring that. And then the final point would have been the love of God this young man saw the love of God as displayed by the gift of fellowship. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me, if you would. The gift of fellowship. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Two important words in those verses. Us and they. What do they speak of? They speak of fellowship. 
You know, when you and I come to Christ, not only to get saved, but maybe we've just gotten out of the will of God a little bit. Maybe we just need to draw back to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, so, sometimes, look, even good people, even good people can get a cold heart towards the things of God. How do you know that, preacher? Because it's happened to me. There are times when I've had to get alone, sometimes just walking through the outside, and I had to admit, say, Lord, my heart is cold towards the things of you right now. Lord, I want you to stir my heart. Help me to love Jesus. Help me to love the Bible the way that I ought to. Help me to love the work of God and the people of God the way that I ought to. Lord, take this coldness from me. That's where you may be tonight. That might be you tonight. This young man was back in fellowship with the daddy. He was eating at his father's table, wearing the best of robes. They were rejoicing one with another. They were, their fellowship had been restored and renewed, and they were happy, and they were in holy fellowship. I don't know about you, but there are times when all of us grow a little bit cold, grow a little bit different. I would say to you tonight, if that's where you are tonight, and why don't we just come to the altar and just admit it to the Lord? Because the truth of the matter is, beloved, he knows it already.